Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to another r slash nuclear revenge video. Today, we've got a story of humiliation. But first, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. That said, our story of the day is I humiliated my ex-wife. When I was in high school, I fell in love with a girl. She was popular and pretty, had boys lining up to date her, yet it was during one unexceptional lunch in the canteen that she came and sat opposite me. Being teenagers, we didn't navigate the whole date thing very smoothly. If I'm honest, I messed it up pretty bad. It started off well. I asked if she wanted to go and see a movie, but after she said yes, there was a lull in the conversation. Desperate for something to say, I started babbling about how comfy the seats were in the theater. I saw one of my friends who was in earshot trying really hard not to laugh. At the end of the day though, the important thing was Dakota said yes. To impress her, I suggested a movie that was popular with the kids and had a romantic bend. It was Twilight. Well, that was a misstep on my part. I found out later that she hated Twilight. And after seeing the movie, I hated it too. She only agreed because she thought I was a fan. So we both suffered through it and ended up trauma bonding. We grabbed a burger afterwards and laughed about how silly sparkling vampires were, how stupid Bella was, and then Dakota pulled a book out of her bag. It was called Interview with a Vampire. She promised me it was the best vampire story I'd ever know. I looked at her skeptical. Teenage boys reading books? Hmm... But she said it wasn't like Twilight, but a proper vampire story with all the horror you'd expect. It took a little while, but it occurred to me that if I read it, I'd have something to talk to her about, so I did. And that book of all things set us in the right direction. We were together for over a year. We even attended prom together, but when I found her in a corridor kissing my friend Michael, the teenage dream came to a cruel end. I thought we'd be parting ways for good after high school. I moved to New York to study psychology at college, making a fresh start. Quickly, I got caught up in student life. Party, party, party. All the booze I knocked back, all the new friends I made, and a little experimenting too, meant that I didn't give Dakota a second thought. After getting my BA, I carried on up up the education ladder until I got my PsyD, eventually achieving my dream of being a clinical psychologist. Just a couple of years into my work though, I got a call from my dad. Mom had been diagnosed with early onset dementia. She was only 63. Dad couldn't look after her alone because he was on disability himself. He'd been in a bad car accident when I was a teenager, leaving his right leg partially paralyzed. And because he wasn't working, he couldn't afford to pay anyone to help him. So he looked towards family. First, he tried my older brother, Tim, but he said he was too busy raising four kids to be able to help. Then, Dad turned to his younger brother, but a lingering brotherly feud meant that he wouldn't help, even as Dad swallowed his pride and apologized. Finally, he turned to me. 
Would you think of me as selfish if I said it felt like it was an imposition? I had studied for years to get my dream job, and just when I get it, when I'm settling in and really enjoying life, I get pulled away again. Nevertheless, my parents were close to my heart, and I wasn't going to let them down. I packed up things and moved across the country again, initially into my parents' place, but then to a small place of my own nearby. The first issue I faced was work. It was a small town in a red state. Clinical work wasn't forthcoming. I set up my own practice, but my appointment diary was far from full. I was making just enough to see me through the months, but if I was really going to help my parents out, I needed to do something to supplement my income. In the meantime, I ran into Dakota. In all the places in the world, it was at a local diner that had been my favorite place growing up. They did a chili so mean that you'd sell your dog to get your hands on it. She still looked good. The first moment was awkward, but by this point, I just thought, let bygones be bygones. We were just stupid kids back then, let's move on. She took my order, and in her freer moments, chatted to me. I learned that she'd stayed here over the years, in between, and had been working as a waitress since she left school. When she told me that, I quickly felt a lot less jubilant about sharing my successes Still, she asked and I answered. She seemed genuinely pleased that I got on in life, and then out of the blue, asked if I'd come back because of my mother. Then I remembered you can't keep secrets in a small town. I had my chili and left things there, but you know what? I couldn't stop thinking about her. I smiled every time I thought about our little reunion. I began to wonder if just maybe I should ask her out, just for a coffee or something, nothing too formal. Yet, it took a couple of weeks, but I managed to work up the courage, the Dutch kind, and asked her. She rejected me. I took it on the chin, smiled, and left her be. On the upside, it was around that time I thought of a way to top up my income, the gym. I like to keep fit, and of all places in town, there was a thriving gym. In my free time, I became a certified PT and took on clients part-time. It worked pretty well though it could get quite tiring juggling two jobs and helping my parents. One of my new routines was to grab a cup of coffee at the diner on Sunday afternoons. Just an hour or two, but it gave me time to relax and escape the busyness of my life. Dakota didn't work on the weekends, so I had nothing to fear there. Or so I thought. A few months after moving in, she and Michael came in. I hadn't seen them since school, and they were evidently not happy. We all glanced at each other, but they quickly looked away and headed for the counter. Honestly, I didn't know whether that was rude or just discreet. More importantly, I was surprised that they were still together. I decided to be a bit rude and listen in on their now quieter arguing at the counter. Michael said something about how it couldn't go on any longer and that it would ruin us if you're not careful. Internally, I was smiling. I know a bigger man would have just shrugged it off and wished them the best but I ain't that. When they went past me to take a seat, I decided to make their day a little worse by calling them. They stopped and looked at me like a deer in the headlights at first, but soon stretched out a smile. They asked how things were going. Was my mom fine? And I told them everything was fine. Great even. Life hadn't been sweeter in a long time. Then I dropped the bomb. You know, I haven't forgotten what you guys did to me. You should have seen their faces. The smiles dropped like lead balloons. I kept them going for a moment before grinning and saying, gotcha. They broke into awkward laughs and I reassured them that it was all just water under the bridge. 
I said I never even knew that they were still together. She told me that Michael worked away for much of the year and that he'd only just got back. I invited them to sit, much to their surprise, and said I'd like to catch up with them. They obliged and filled in some gaps for me. The two hadn't actually been together since high school. They split for a time and got back together a couple of years later. They didn't have any kids and, much to the disapproval of some older folk, had chosen not to get married. I treated them like patients, drawing out information with carefully considered questions. That's when Dakota brought it up. I've been hearing that you're a psychiatrist now. Almost, I replied. I'm a clinical psychologist. Then I asked Michael what he did for work. He worked on cruise ships, he said. He was an entertainer, a real people pleaser apparently. I was tempted to make a snide joke, but I managed to restrain myself. Didn't want to overdo it. He had just finished a six-month contract and now had two months vacation. I asked if they were going to go anywhere nice. Michael huffed and said, not likely, before giving Dakota a little side eye. Micah told me that this argument had been about money and that she was the instigator of the issue. As far as I could see, that could only mean one thing. She'd been spending beyond her means. By the time we'd finished, I felt like I knew what to do. I asked them out to dinner one evening, put on a really amiable front and convinced them that I'd really enjoyed catching up with them. It would be on me, I said. Dakota jumped on the offer before Michael could think, let alone utter a single syllable. And on the following Saturday, we met up at a local Italian place. The more the evening went on, the more I was able to charm and reassure them. At one point during the dinner, Michael went off to the bathroom, leaving me and Dakota alone for a moment. How are things between you and Michael? She told me hesitantly that they were fine. I sat back and let the air breathe for a moment before stirring up some old memories. I got her in a nostalgia mode and reminisced with her about all the funny, awkward, and crazy times we had back then. She visibly loosened up and we had a good laugh. It really broke the ice. We mellowed when Michael came back, but for the rest of the evening there was a little something between me and her. A twinkle in the little looks we exchanged. The way we listened attentively to one another. Everything. A connection had been re-established. On the following Wednesday, I dropped by the dinner in the afternoon on the pretense of grabbing a drink and a bite to eat. But I was really there to give her my number. We both kept to the social script, making sure our communication was as subtly flirtatious as possible, and when it came to paying for my food, I handed her my card, hidden amongst a couple of bills. She rang me the following evening and went out for coffee. Not to the diner, though. And she was so much more relaxed, enough to open up about the situation between her and Michael. Things haven't been going right between me and him for a while now. All he does is complain about my spending. Is it so unreasonable that I should want nice things? I reassured her, no, that's a perfectly normal wish. She smiled. I smiled. I considered sliding my hand over hers, but decided against it. I should wait. We chatted some more, finished our drinks, and parted ways. But not before she said she wanted to meet up again, at her house, on a night when Michael was going to be out with some of his friends. She set a glass of red wine down in front of me practically as soon as I sat down. The nerves really began to creep up on me as I settled. For the first time, at least in a long time, we were alone. I could see my future in the bottom of the wine glass, and it stirred up all sorts of emotions. Some I'd even forgotten, like anger. I thought carefully when she went back into the kitchen about what to do. 
how to carry myself. The angel on my left shoulder told me to let bygones be bygones. We were only kids back then. Years had passed. Neither of us were the same. However, the angel on my right pointed out that, for all the change and growth, we both still recognized a kernel of something familiar in each other, a link to the past. When she came back in, she brought Pop-Tarts of all things. That abruptly disrupted any sensitive rumination. I didn't say anything, I just looked at her. She laughed and said, you don't remember? It took a moment, but I found the memory. I'd given her a box of Pop-Tarts as a sort of joke gift on her birthday back in the day. Everything had gone f- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Full circle because when she opened it, she gave me the same sort of dumbfounded look that I'd just given her. It was her little brother who told me that she was crazy about them when in reality, she didn't care for them. I asked if she liked them now. Not really, she said. I just thought it'd be a nice little throwback. The conversation went pretty flat after that. We just sat in silence eating Pop-Tarts and sipping on wine. After the third glass though, there was a pretty sharp turnaround. Our clothes fell off and we ended up in bed. It was a moment that just seemed to come out of nowhere, a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. After we'd finished, the first three words in my head were all the same and began with F. No going back now. I felt regret and excitement in equal measure, but as for Dakota, if she had any trace of remorse, she wasn't showing it. She was gunning for round two, but I told her I had to go. She wasn't listening and kept on handling me until I eventually acquiesced. After we'd finished proper, I got cleaned up, dressed, and slowly drove to my parents' place. When I got through the door, I came face to face with my mother. She started screaming. She shouted for my dad. At first, understandably, I was thrown. Then reality hit and I realized that she was having an episode. I tried to calm and reassure her, but it was no use. She was convinced I was an intruder. It was only when my dad came in and held her that she started to cool off. At his suggestion, I made myself discreet for a while, just until she came back to us. I lay on my old bed with my head buried between my knees. This whole day had been an emotional mess. I just wanted out of my life, to pack up and run off to a cave by the sea, become a hermit. At this point, I felt insanely vulnerable. I gave in to Dakota, to the past and to her alluring fantasy of a fun, baggage-free affair. Any spare moment we had, we spent together. We did have fun, rediscovered one another and even tried hooking up on the beach, like in that Burt Lancaster movie, though it wasn't nearly as romantic. 
you end up picking sand out of some very dark places. For the second time, I fell in love with her. Or it might be more accurate to say that I'd fell in love with this her. She was, of course, not the same person I'd fallen for as a teenager. Adult Dakota was more charming, sophisticated, and confident. And as time passed, I was surprised to find out that we had more in common than I'd imagined. It turned out that she'd been taking a psychology course at the local community college. We shared the same music tastes, same favorite authors, and so on. I started to think that we could be a dream couple. One lazy Sunday on my sofa, I told her that I loved her. She casually echoed me. I said that I wanted to be with her. She got up and looked surprised. Starting to feel awkward, I added, It's not such a crazy idea, is it? We really click, right? She nodded slightly but wondered how we could go about it. What about Michael was her first question. Almost automatically, I repeated her. She smiled. It was obvious that she'd picked up on the twinge of belligerence in my tone. She played with me. Maybe I should go back to him. I didn't say anything, just looked at her expectantly. After a moment, she finally got serious and agreed that there was something special between us. Two weeks later, she moved her stuff in and had sent Michael a Dear John letter. Of course, there was talk around town. Even my dad had asked, though not judged. But we didn't much care. We were too busy enjoying the new spark. And as for Michael, well, it seemed like karma. The first year or so was fantastic. Dakota was a live wire, insatiable and more attentive than I could have imagined. She was utterly mesmerizing and it was all I could do to shower her in gifts and devotion. As soon as it seemed right, I proposed to her. She said yes straight away and said she wanted to get married now. I laughed and said, yeah, me too. It took me a moment to realize that she meant she wanted to get married now. She got out her phone and looked up flights to Vegas. I just watched her stunned as she said she wanted one of those kitsch Vegas weddings. When I found myself, I went over and put my arms on her. I asked whether she wouldn't prefer a proper wedding, all the bells and whistles and a whole crowd to see her. She hand waved the suggestion and said it wasn't her thing at all. What followed and what I didn't appreciate at the time, or perhaps I did deep down but chose to ignore it, was the first sign of something amiss. She asked pretty sharply, You do want to marry me, right? There was something a little forceful about the way she said it, a little combative. I ended up going along with it because I really thought I did love her. We flew to Vegas the next day and got married in a small chapel with an Elvis impersonator with two of her friends attending. I didn't particularly like either of them, but one in particular, Tara, really rubbed me up the wrong way. She turned up to the chapel wearing a tiny bodycon with a plunging neckline. Dakota dragged her outside and the two had a screaming match, one loud enough that me, Aaron, the other friend, and the Elvis impersonator could hear every expletive. The two came back in after a few minutes, Dakota trying to look happy and Tara brushing up her cheek with makeup. It was a bizarre and ominous start to a short marriage. I set the wedding to the back of my mind as soon as it was over and, after a honeymoon of gambling and drinking, we flew home. For a period, the marriage was good and stable. Over time though, things got incrementally worse. She became unreasonably demanding as far as money and material goods. And then the arguments began. When I wasn't meeting her expectations, she would flick like a switch and turn nasty. 
throwing things, slapping me and hitting me with various objects. At a worst, I ended up with a broken arm when she hit me with a rolling pin. In the meantime, Aaron dropped in occasionally with gifts for her, the kind that come in clear plastic bags. They would go in the bedroom and get off their faces. The world felt like it was spiraling out of control and all I wanted to do was jump off. I tried to help her. I suggested she get clean because I knew where she could end up. I'd seen the final result before. No matter how much I tried or how many times I told her I loved her, she shut me out until she wanted something. Meanwhile, my mother, in one of her confused states, had ventured across to the stairs one night and fell. An ambulance whisked her off to a hospital, but she died on the way. I was a grown man, but I wept in my dad's arms like a child. I was falling apart, and I didn't know how to put the pieces back together. I confided in him that my marriage wasn't going well, though I didn't tell him about the violence. I'd already lied when he saw my arm in a sling, told him I'd been in a car accident. I was too ashamed to tell him that I was being beaten by a woman. And you might call it stupid, but I still loved her. My dad's old-fashioned when it comes to marriage, so based on only what I told him, he advised that I should stick it out and make it work. Weather the storm and you'll find a haven, is what he said. I was ready to give it another go, to try and fix her. But just after a few days later, I landed outside my apartment's front door when I heard loud moaning. After everything, this was the final straw. I flushed with anger and wanted to storm in there, but when I went for the handle, I just couldn't do it. My hand was shaking. I left and went for a long walk to cool off and get my head straight. When I thought about it, my first question was, was this the first time? Somehow I doubted it. Who was he? I decided that didn't matter. I'd taken her back after cheating on me earnestly loved her and tried to do right by her, and she treated me like dirt. I decided to play the long game, though with her I doubt she could hold off long anyway, then I'd leave. I was going to take the only thing in her name, her frayed reputation. If she lost that, she would lose everything. People in that town, particularly the hard-nosed and influential Christians, would turn their backs on her. She'd be a total pariah. So I went looking online for discreet cameras and found spy cameras, cameras hidden in everyday objects. I bought an air freshener and stuck it on the shelf opposite our bed. I left it running, and then after a week I checked it whilst she was at work. She surpassed my expectations. It wasn't just one man, but three different ones on separate occasions. I didn't even feel angry, I just felt numb. Then I turned my attention to the printer and used so much ink that I had to go out for more. Whilst I was out, I bought some tacket too. Then the next day, I went into the town and stuck photos of her bare self in the tender act of adultery around busy areas. In some shots, you could even see some residue on my nightstand. With the last 10 or so copies, I headed for the diner. It was early afternoon. She'd be there. As soon as I turned the last corner and the windows were in view, I could see her chatting with a customer. I vaguely knew the guy, his name was Billy or something. As I approached the door, I refused to be nervous or scared. I'd come this far. She deserved all of this. Keeping the prints pressed to my chest, I pushed open the door and focused my gaze on her. She was giving Billy her undivided attention, doing a sweet girly laugh. Then she saw me. 
Initially, her smile faded, but she soon returned back into that cutesy performance. I grabbed one of the sheets and slapped it down in front of her. Her face filled with dread, scruffy Billy hollered, and the other woman behind the counter came over to see what the fuss was about. Meanwhile, I just went around and slapped copies on tables until I had one left. I walked out and pinned it to the entrance. Evidently, the initial shock had passed as she was screaming witch from inside. In my emotional haze, one thing I didn't consider was the law. As I was at home packing up my stuff, I got a visit from the cops. Fortunately, even though distribution of such photos had been recently made illegal in the state, it was a minor offense, and so I got off with a fine. Meanwhile, Dakota, according to my dad, was fired from her job and ended up in jail. With neither money nor a home, she took to earning money on her back. Run-ins with the police for drugs and soliciting racked up until she was jailed. It's taking time for me to work through my issues. I'm seeing a therapist to deal with psychological damage from her abuse. But things are moving in the right direction. I'll never take a cheat back again though. Once bitten, twice shy. Considering the story OP shared here, and considering whatever else you may have picked up during your time here on Earth, Do you believe in the saying, once a cheater, always a cheater? As in, if somebody cheats on you, you can never trust them again? That they're probably just as good to cheat again in the future? I'd like to know what you guys think in the comments down below. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another absolutely crazy revenge story, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, check out the one on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.